Today on Talk About That, I go to the Grand Ole Opry and hear a perfect joke while John quotes himself in a sermon and holds a wet orange for good luck. Plus, a conversation about humility, empathy, and Jenga. Today's episode is not sponsored by the semicolon. You're probably using it wrong. Here we go. Keeping it real, another week. It's a Monday episode of Talk About That. I'm John. I'm Johnny. And we're your answering machine. That's right. <laughs> we're not here right now. But hey, if you, John. yeah, leave a message at the tone. Yeah. Well, a lot's happened, John. Oh, my goodness. So much. Where do we even and start? so much is going to happen. You're getting ready for your big trip. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. You're about to headline Zanies. No, it's fine. We've talked. We've talked too much about it. All no, right. I we feel haven't. like we feel like we scared people away. Not until every you're ticket talking is about sold. your book all all the time. I'm talking about Zanies all the time. I have it's to. Fine. They tell me I have to. Oh, really? Guys, they're standing right here right now <laughs> with a weapon. <laughs> you know what's good for you. Yeah, there is a lot going on though. It's uh, you know, it's fall officially. You know that, right? It's football time in Tennessee. Is what it is. And, you know, we haven't talked a lot about Tennessee football, and we're not going to because we know you'll stop this podcast. No, I don't think. I think some people like when we like at least at least share that part of our personalities where we're like rooting for the home team. If they could see like in real time our text message thread yeah. during the game, yeah. it's it's uh, there. You have a you have a go to move, which is to send me the gif of Rob Schneider's "Oh no, we suck again" <laughs> every time. I do that on purpose. <laughs> The one thing we used to always send is if a good play happens, what's the text? Uh, what, if, about if good, uh, what about him? Yeah. Yeah, what about, about him? Yeah. Or how about him? How about him? Or what about him? And if uh, you get to the end of the game and yeah. it's close. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> John's getting emotional. <laughs> if you get to the end of the game. <laughs> it's close. And it's close. Yeah. Then we say. I don't remember. Hold the orange. Oh, right. Hold the yeah. right. That comes from <laughs> that comes from our buddy Brian, who was the biggest Vols fan I've ever known. Ever. Uh, and he was superstitious. Yeah. So if the game is close, he would hand out oranges and he would say, hold the orange, but do not eat it. Right. And then, <laughs> and then if we get down, like now they've kicked the field goal. Now we're only down by one score. He goes, peel the orange. I go, we're just going to hold Well, actually, it. he would say, hold the orange, but don't peel it. Yeah, don't peel it. And then he would say, peel the orange, but do don't not eat it. it. Now you're holding a wet orange <laughs> in your hand. This happened a lot. And then at some point, guys, eat the orange. Eat the orange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. We won uh, a championship that year, though. So yeah. that was the same year. Yeah. That was 98. Mm. That was the last time we peeled the orange, but did not eat it. That was the last time. we. <laughs> yeah. So Tennessee did. Yeah. Put up sixty-two points, which was close to the record. I think seventy. It's the best, definitely the record for an SEC game, because I think the other record was against uh, La Tech or something. It was seventy points. Yeah, because I looked it up. Because I remember I asked you, I was like, "What's the record for?" Because we don't have the kind of coaches that run up scores. Not up to now. Up to now, but now we're like this guy's like running gun and we're, we're number the one ball. in the nation in a uh, number of plays. Uh, per well, excuse me. That's such a funny. That's a funny. That's like one of the stats. Like on a Friday, we run more plays. <laughs> we run more plays than anybody else. Fastest. We run a play. That's like, like once. saying you shoot more threes than any other team. It really though. is. It's like we run a play like, like once how every many do you three. Make? Well, we shoot the most though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like true. you go hunting with a guy and he's like, I brought an Uzi. Do you really need an Uzi? Oh, wait, do you see how many bullets come out of this thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's like, guys, I preach the longest sermons. Yeah. Yeah, but are they good? It doesn't matter. They're yeah. the longest. Yeah. I'm in the book, guys. I'm in the yeah, record in the book. book. But it was good. So Missouri is a uh, SEC opponent and p- perhaps not the best defense they, we played. I swear to you, it's how I see us when we play teams. Whereas we're always going, who is teaching these kids to tackle? We yeah. get so mad at our tackling. We were running plays that were like busted plays, and we would run for 20 yards. And I go, how is this possible? So I This read is it, like a high school team. Again, not to belabor it. Sorry, Mizzou. Lis- <clears throat> listener. But, um, so I read an article, Yeah, which is what I do. Right. And part of it is the up-tempo offense is designed to do that, to confuse them where they can't do the normal thing. Like half the time they were still looking at the sideline trying to get the defensive play. Right. We, we've already hiked the ball. Yeah. So it's too late. And so it, it produces a lot of busted coverages and other things. If you give them a look and they're looking for the play and you hike mm-hmm. it every three seconds, which is what we do, 3.7 or something, or 3.12. Which is why we have the most plays. Right. We have the most, well, excuse me, we run the most plays, the fastest plays. We we do one play every three point something. And then okay. the second team is like one every 3.9 or like 3.5. So it's it's the highest tempo offense okay. in the country. But that's the whole. That's one of the benefits of it. To keep them rocked on their heels. Yeah, they don't know what. So even with a good defense, yeah, which this was not. I it, feel like that's your preaching style too. I give you come out and you get us like back on their, our heels. We're like, whoa, whoa, what is all this? Come on now, this. I have been told that in some of the runs before. Like, wow, you just dropped. Because I'll put these big sentences on the screen, like yeah. I have these big, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we need a little time to process what you just it's put a lot out of, there. It's a grand statement. And I'm like moving past it super to another. One thing that you don't do, which I'm glad, is you don't put like a little dash and then your name underneath. The... <laughs> that would be so pretentious. I think it was a th- mighty theologian who said this once. <laughs> he said. <laughs> well, when I write the study questions for the sermons, I always do say, uh, discuss and reflect on this quote. Uh-huh. And it's from the sermon. Right. But I don't say, again, this quote it's, it's from, from John. Yeah. Right. That is a little... Yeah, from Pastor John. I don't do any of that. A little pretentious. Yeah. Actually... I, I got to be in church this past week. You did. Did I call you... Did I say anything to you? I usually do. I don't think I did this time. You didn't. Uh, but I mean, I... I'm, but I, I do use... I don't need it. I just, you know... I do use I'm your, not coming back, but... <laughs> when you're in the room, I'm more likely to use your vernacular. Yeah. I okay. noticed that. I said things like... I made some joke about adding or subtracting and said I was told there'd be no math today. Yeah, yeah but that's that's, a, that's Chevy Chase from Correct, but I learned it from you because oh, you said I, it our first you yeah. know, 10 years. of. So I'm yeah. more likely to drop a Johnny-ism that's somebody yeah. else's-ism. Yeah. So, so I'm a hack. Is that what you're saying to me? Johnny, I think your career is a I ever sham. Took, I don't think I ever took credit for that hack, line. Hack is difficult to say, but it sham, is. I could say. Okay, so. sure. Yeah, you're a sham. Didn't you just go to a comedy show where some things from your childhood... Uh, yeah, it was so cool. Like, we got to go... So I went to the Opry for the first time last month, and it was because... Like, I'm just not a big country music person. Wow. But I have a lot of respect Sorry, for country listeners. music artists, and I'm more into I'm more into country than I ever have been in my life, but I'm still... I feel like I'm on the outside of that bubble as far as, like... there's. I'll hear a country song and be like, wow, that's really good, but it's still a little twangy for me or whatever. Yeah. But... Um, was Lil Twang is my favorite country artist. Oh, Lil Twang. They're so good. <laughs> sounds like a rapper, country rapper. <laughs> it does. But Lil Nas X's Hi, name should have been. I'm, I'm Lil, Lil Twang. Twang. I'm Lil Twang. Anyway, um, my buddy Brian Bates, who's one of my best friends in comedy, he got the Opry. Right. So it's his Opry debut. It's a big deal. And I was like, man, these tickets are a lot. But 
I mean, I don't want to miss this. This is so cool. Yeah. Like, we got to go. So we bought tickets to go, and it was so fun. And he killed. You know, you only leave like a 10-minute spot. It's just like everybody comes on. Like, they'll put so many crazy, talented people on the show, but everybody gets three songs. Yeah. Like, if they have Dolly Parton on, she's only doing three, and she's probably not going to do your favorite song, and then she's done. And then they go to the next person. So they have like, have you ever been to the Opry? So it's like old country, then they'll do a new artist, then they'll do a, like an Americana type artist, then they'll do a comedian. Well, it's very much a variety show. It's so fun. It's like yeah. an old radio show, which it literally is a radio show. But they have ads they'll read, and so it's very kind of a throwback vibe, and it's yeah. very fun in an old-fashioned way. But I loved it so much, and I did not expect to enjoy it uh, as much as I did, because like the last artist was a lady named uh, Ashley McBride. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that she's been around very long, but she was so good. Like her, one of her songs brought tears to my eyes. It was like that good, and the harmonies were unbelievable. It was just her and her two guitar players. Yeah. So it was kind of a and she closed the show, so it wasn't this big crescendo that you're expecting. Like, oh, this will be the big with a full band. It was like she came out with just her and her, and they were so good that I was like, wow. And I looked over at Curry and she's tearing up, and I'm I'm like, it's some song about. It was called Sparrow, and it was about how like you're you're soaring. But, you know, it ain't fair because we're on the ground still. And we met. it was like, and I started thinking about my niece who's in flight school. And it's this yeah. whole thing. And it was just uh, like, oh, country music, man. Oh, what are you going to do? It's, yeah. it, it taps in, right? But just her ability to connect was so cool. And seeing Brian in that element. So I, it's in, been in my radar now of like, if ever I see another Opry performer that I want to go, I love the Opry now. I want to go. It's sure. kind of a fun night overall. Even if you don't know the artist and you're not really into that vibe, it's like just being in that, immersing yourself in that culture is really fun. Yeah. Even as an outsider. So I saw on the marquee, I'm driving by Barley Parkway, and I see on the marquee Gary Mule Deer. And I know he does the Opry sometimes, but I thought it was like a full show of him. But it wasn't. He was just part of the Opry that weekend. So I was like, we should still go. I mean, I looked it up. He's 81. So this is a guy I grew up with. Like, I love him so much. He's the reason I, he's probably the reason I do the joke medley. Wow. Uh, because I saw him on Letterman, and he would do these one-liners with a guitar and then he would like do a one-liner into the guitar mic like he would lean down and do one into the guitar mic and he just do these really weird vaudevillian kind of tricks and things and i was so fascinated by it and it made me want to do comedy because he was just so confident but in a weird quirky way and you could tell like everybody in the audience isn't necessarily getting this but i love it and um so I didn't know he was still performing. And when I found out he was going to be on the opera, I was like, we got to go. He's, 80, oh, yeah. he's 81. I was like, we, we're never going to get a chance to see this guy again. We got to go. So he bought Well, these, you're not a spring chicken. That's I mean, what I'm saying. It could yeah. be me that yeah. he's going to outlive me probably. But um, so we go. And the show was good. And uh, But then he comes on. And I was kind of wondered, like, is my wife going to like this guy? It's like, it's an 81-year-old comedian. He's very, like, storyteller. You know, an old man's talking to his wife, those kind of jokes. Right. And like your grandpa would tell on the porch kind of jokes. Yeah. But so clever and so well Granddad jokes. Yeah. And he, but I look over and Curry's like just howling with laughter. And it was so satisfying on some level. But then after every now and again, she'd be like, she'd look at me and she goes, I totally see like his influence on you, on your show. Oh, wow. Which is kind of neat, you know. Yeah. It's kind of a full circle thing. But- I love jokes so much. Like, I mean, I know you know this about me, and if anybody knows me, they know this, but, like, I think I hate when comedy 
tries to be important, like I can see it trying to be important. Right. Like music is the same way. Yeah. Like if you're at a U2 show and you're like, I love this song, and then Bono stops and preaches for 20 minutes, everybody goes to the porta potties. Yeah. But if you feeling. hear a U2 song that has a message and you're like, I really like this, like that's there's something there. Like when I teared up at the Ashley McBride song, that proves that music is important. Yeah. It's when I see it trying to be important that I'm bugged by it. Yeah. Because it needs to be so funny. When comedy tries to be important, you have to be so funny to override that earnestness mm -hmm. for me to be satisfied. And all that said, he told this joke. Uh, Gary Mule Deer did. And I'd never heard it before. And it may be one of those kind of street jokes that there's versions of everywhere. But basically, I think he has some Native American in him. So he says, there's a Native American community, this politician, slick politician, comes to visit this Native American community. And the conditions are really bad there. And he goes to the chief and he says, tell me what the problems are here. And the guy says, well, okay. He goes, they've started strip mining uh, on our land and the runoff is polluting our water. And so now we can't, we have to ship in water from out of our community. Paul says, well, that's unacceptable. He gets on his phone. He walks away from the guy and he starts screaming into his phone. He comes back and he goes, we're going to put 15 wells in this week and we're going to pay for the water that you've had to have shipped in. The guy goes, okay. He goes, tell me what uh, number two is. And he goes, all right, well, um, what did he say? He says some other problem. And the guy says, oh, he says, we don't have any, uh, there's no doctors here. We have no medical care. We have to go outside the reservation to get medical care. He says, that's crazy. He goes, walks away again, screams into his phone, comes back. He says, there's going to be three doctors here on site within the week and within a year we're going to have you're going to have your own hospital here that's run by natives he says that's amazing he says what's the third problem he says uh there's no cell reception <laughs> and so it's like this huge like it was such a cool cathartic joke because it did everything that comedy tries to do yeah and doesn't do sometimes yeah like it was this moment of like a great laugh, huge laugh, thousands of people laugh. But then this moment where you go, you're realizing like, yeah, it's yeah. This, this huge indictment of the system and how politicians take advantage. They tell you exactly what you want to hear and they don't ever get anything done. So it's this, this weird, I don't know, I loved it so much. I was like, what a powerful joke. And I started thinking about that, that we're all, that comedy is such this uniting thing. Yeah. Because I mean, there was, a pop, you know, politics of all stripes in that room you know sure he even did this one joke that i've heard other people say but he may have written it because he's been doing comedy 50 years but he said i think every politician should serve two terms you know one term in office and one term in prison <laughs> and he got this gigantic like almost a standing ovation that joke you know? wow but i just think there's something about that joke right that it just hit a nerve that i just don't i think that if you were just to start off with a story and you told a story and it had that same message, it would feel contrived. And people would see it coming and be like, oh, boy, here we go. Another story about how politicians are corrupt and they just are manipulating people. But when it's in a joke form, it's like it totally slid in under everyone's radar yeah, in a cool way. Yeah. And I just loved the power of that. Yeah, it's like you've got a firewall. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and it gets past it. If there's a – it's funny how we don't want to be directly – either inspired or informed mm -hmm. like we have those sources for that yeah the things that really change the way we think seem to not come 
right directly through yeah i mean there's a scene in um there's a scene in uh walk the line that i think bothered me a lot when i first watched that movie and now it made it makes more sense to me if it really happened i mean they they dramatize some of those conversations but somebody's talking to him he doesn't want to do anything but gospel music remember this scene he's telling the agent i don't do anything but gospel music but he's written this song about how i you know I killed a man in Reno just to watch him die and all this stuff. But he says, this is too dark. I don't want to do this kind of music. I'm, he feels bad. He's feeling this pull because he grew up in church. Right. And this person, I can't remember who it was in the movie. Somebody's going to correct me and be so mad at me for not remembering who told him this. But they basically said, like, you need to just go out there and tell the truth because that's the, that's the kind of music that saves people. In other words, if you go out and do a gospel song and you really believe it, that's one thing. But if you're just doing gospel songs as this obligatory, I can't do anything but do songs about Jesus, like, because this is the only music that has power. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a little bit of a misconception, too. I feel like that's a wrongheadedness. Yeah. So, uh, and again, some people who are in Christian music may disagree with that. I just feel like there's beauty. So there's all truth is God truth. There's so much beauty everywhere. And so Johnny Cash had that moment where he's like, oh, I can just tell stories from my life and they can have this same uplifting power or this same connection power. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. There's a, there's a, I mean, something you just read a draft of a article I wrote. Yeah. And it's talking about more than just racism It's talking about sort of the mindset that we're struggling with how it, and, and how it relates to experiences, whether it's pandemic or whether it's political, um, and and also, you know, the protests and those things. Three P's, Johnny. It's called alliteration. You should look it up. <laughs> it's uh, big. You're like, oh, Pastor definitely wrote this one. Um, but there's this question that I'm sure we've asked before, but it, it just keeps to, it's, it's coming out of what you just said. And that is, as believers, even as pastors, does our calling include addressing things that are blatant untruths. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to be careful here because everyone has a different version right now of what they think the truth is. But if you see something, they're they're believing sources that have been proven to be untrue over and over again and at least espousing suspicious sort of conspiracies on a level that um, is hurting them and hurting people around them. Do we as ministers at least, is it within our calling to address those sorts of things, even if they're not directly religiously related? And, you know, I had that conversation with someone the other day and it was like, yes, like it's a, it's a, it's a hesitant and difficult and painful, but it's a resounding yes to me, to your point. Like if, and I feel like you end up trying to convince people that the sky is blue after a while, because not because they're wrong about everything, but because they're questioning the color of the sky. It's not, it's not that I understand the sky could be many shades of blue and all those things, but why are you so worried about the color of the sky right now? Mm -hmm. That's the problem is that, you know, you think about, and I don't, man, I know we try to avoid pandemics so, so much, but no one's people who are really up in arms about pandemic things, Sometimes you you got to ask the question, why am I so up in arms about something that's happened throughout history so many times? Yes, it's been botched by government officials. Yes, it's been botched by multiple parties. Yes, 
and that's that's been the case in our past as well. What? Right. Why is this something that I'm questioning the very fabric of fact and information? Yeah. Um, and is it? Yeah. A, there's within, no. Yeah. It feels like there's no humility on anyone's part. Somebody said that the other day because as we're t- trying to slowly come out of this whatever eighth wave or whatever you call it, they were like, everyone's been wrong about this at least three times. Yeah. And I never really heard it put quite that way. But if, if you go back and listen to our old podcasts, we've been wrong about it three or four times. Sure. And I was even actually, we've talked about that before. Like I almost feel like it's ashamed of those episodes where everybody's confidently saying, well, a couple more weeks and we're going to, or whatever you said. Yeah. It's like that there's no humility. I feel like there's a, such a lack of empathy and a lack of humility in the discourse today, including my own. But I just feel like that's part of the deal. It is. I mean, to, you know, I forget who said it. You know, Laura's been saying it, but she read it somewhere that in someone's home, they're beginning to say, hey, when, when something comes along that you're wrong about, it's okay to say, Hey, we just haven't learned that yet. Yeah. Like there's such a sense. I think we say humility and empathy. And of course, man, I hammer those words, <laughs> sermons, books, all those things and, and trying to live there. But that even has subtle, nuanced definitions in people's minds of what uh-huh. that really is. Right. Sure. They see humility as this passiveness, uh-huh. like only gentle, um, you know, like a doormat. Right. That I can't, yeah. I, I, I can't be strong, or I can't take a position, or I mm-hmm. can't debate a position. And just saying I don't know to things feels like a failure to some people. In the information age, and absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I've felt, I've felt that tension before too, especially even in my job because I'm supposed to render an opinion on things yeah. and turn it into funny things, and sometimes I'm not ready to even like process a subject, yeah. so I just. That's when you just talk about your own life and you just kind of go, all right, well, let's go back to childhood and talk about these things for a while because I'm not ready to talk about gun control yet in my show or whatever it is. Because, again, you're supposed to have a strong opinion about everything because we are now conditioned to have strong opinions about every issue rather than be like, I'm waiting on other information. Yeah. You know. There's nothing wrong. Like bringing that, that is humility. Yeah. And it's also just wisdom. I was reading the proverb that said, you know, even a fool is thought wise when he can keep quiet. Yeah. Like there's such a great thing there. Like how many times in life I have proven my foolishness by being willing to talk about it instead of going, Hey, part of that for me is I'm a verbal processor. I'm also a written processor. There are some things I realized I was having a conversation with someone this week. It was amazing. You know, a a very influential author who has just been willing to speak some great Dan Brown, the Da Vinci code. Maybe you've heard Maybe, of him. Yeah, he yeah. he turns is, out was a surprising advocate for my <laughs> racial justice and faith book. But yes, maybe he is. I don't know. But a guy who's just taken some time, who doesn't owe me anything, and has just been kind and spoken into my process, and uh, it's just been awesome. And you know, he was kind of asking like, you know, sort of my origin story of the things we're doing. I like that origin story. Like you're a supervillain. Yeah. <laughs> Who hurt you, John? Why are you, you know... <laughs> did you fall into a vat of acid? <laughs> I did. And then realize you have superpowers? Because that's what I'm saying. That's great. And I was like, you know, part of me, when I was moved by, you know, the conversations with Reggie, by George Floyd, uh, 
Ahmaud Arbery by, well, I was moved by these things. Yeah. What I do is right. Like what I, that's, that's one of the ways I figure out the same thing with, with speaking even. And my wife will attest to this. Something, same thing in personal conversations. Sometimes until I have talked about it, I'm not real sure how right. I feel about You're processing it. it through your words. Right. Your, it's got to come out. Yeah. And on paper, especially helps me to really, okay, this yeah. argument does make sense or does not make sense. It makes me seek out research. It makes me, uh-huh. and I wish I was better than that. I mean, I read books without having to write. I don't know how, you know, it's like, that's just how I made like, Hey, this may not be a book anyone's ever going to read. I may not, you know, but I'm going to start writing at least in my one note. I'm going to start writing notes down because that's how I remember. That's how I ponder. And so I think, you know, coming to a place, but the problem with that is, is you produce, you know, a product that people are going to think is, you know, you you need to be an expert on this to some extent if you're going to write about it. And so I think you're right. I think you said something to me. I, I'm going to be an expert on – if I'm going to be an expert on anything, it's going to be telling the story of me not being humble in my life and seeing where that was not God's ways yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean we talked about that with um, the uh, Promise Keepers movement, which I'd seen a 30 for 30 documentary about the Colorado coach who was a strong believer. And he started speaking at these men's events, and it was kind of one of the things that – started ushering in the beginning of the end of Promise Keepers. Now, maybe it just had its weird cultural axis where, you know, something's going to have a a crescendo and die down. But it made sense to me because he said in his thing that he started talking about racial reconciliation in his talks Mm -hmm. at Promise Keepers, thousands of men. And he would say basically like, we have sinned against the black community and I want to apologize for my part in it and my privilege and my benefiting from this racial system, this racist yeah. system that's in place. And people tearfully, you know, uh, embracing and people coming to the, It was this moment that he created. And I was like, this was like 95 or 96. Yeah. And there was such a backlash to it because it made people uncomfortable. But it's, like you said, it's that, that humility that then can be perceived in somebody else's you know, language is like, oh, this guy, he's, he's apologizing for stuff he didn't even do now. You know? Yeah. Uh, he's trying to own sins of his great grandparents. This is just whatever. This is a white, yeah. white guilt. And, and I just, I don't know. I'm fascinated by somebody who says like, I don't care. I, I don't, if that's how I'm going to be branded, whatever. Like I want to err on the side of complete humility and love. And if it makes me a fool, makes me look like a fool or a doormat, like people who I know have impacted my life and that I would look at as an example, like Curry's dad or my mom, if you look at them through the eyes of the world, that's what you would see. You would see somebody who like got taken advantage of a whole lot. Yeah. My mom used to say that. She would say, if you want to be used by the Lord, you're going to get used by people. Yeah. And, you know, I always remembered that. It's like, but that's what it is. That's what laying your life down is. It means even this, this uh, yearning that we have for public approval that we won't admit to ourselves, but we all want it. Yep. You have to lay that down even. Got to. Say, I got to do the right thing. And if it means I look silly or I look foolish, I'm going to try to be on the right side of this thing. Some of this has given, uh, you know, I think you said something at lunch even. Like, I, d- I don't want to feel like I'm on the right side by doing this, by upsetting people. You know, but there has been a many, many moments. I'm still in them where I have to decide if I want the approval of people or not um, because I'm not going to get it 
in a lot of places. And there's a freedom there. Like there's a freedom as a people pleaser, as a recovering people pleaser. There's a freedom to go, oh, like I'm I'm doing that scary thing. Yeah. You know. That's one, your counterphobic, bro. You just got to dive all in and <laughs> lean into it. Well, and I started doing that before the racism thing. Talking about, let me tell you something, talking about grace on the level that I'm trying to, people people get real squarely about that too. Mm-hmm. Like that you have a watered down gospel. Yeah. You know, oh, you're saying it doesn't matter what we do, like, even though you're not saying that at all. But it it hits for as it did for me, it hits at the heart of what I instinctively believe my relationship with God is established upon in terms not just of heaven, but in terms of my true like status before him. What's my status before God today? And if you ask believers that. We instinctively, I believe, go to, well, I haven't prayed in a while. Right. Or, well, I always go to church. Or, I'm a pretty good guy. I right. Do they go to the checklist. And the checklist, I mean, again, you look at the Ten Commandments, it's a dang checklist. You know, you're, so, so you, you get into these things. How do, you, how do you build upon the principles of God's word, bring the right theology of which commandments and those things are a component, mm-hmm. but a component that had a real specific context? Right. Like, hey, yes, these are good things. And also these things will lead you to the conclusion by the end of the entire Old Testament that you can't keep them all and you need someone else to fulfill them for you. Mm -hmm. But that's the essence of what the – that's what the difference is. We still have – you can't have an Old Testament gospel alone. Like the Old Testament is supposed to point you to this other place. But it leads through, again, humility and empathy. It leads through going, okay, not only am I going to recognize – I can't keep this, and that's great news. I'm also not going to judge all around me who don't keep them to my standards. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to now, like, it, and when you lose that self-righteous self-confidence, you go, oh, what do I have left? Yeah, if and, that's what you built the whole thing on. That's a hard place to be. I think that's the kind of deconstruction I'm seeking is, it's such a buzzword right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking to tear everything down that's ever been. I'm looking for... What can be shaken that is being shaken yeah. so that I can find what's not. And to me, there is a, so yeah, it's so cliche. You can hardly say it. If I don't have a gospel through line yeah. that holds it all together. And what is that? What does that mean to me? To me, it's almost like I'm vis- I envision it as like a Jenga tower. You know, when you go to the Jenga, if you're playing Jenga, yeah. you can push on some of the blocks and they just come right out. Yeah. To me, that is prosperity gospel. Right. Like the tower does not fall when I deconstruct that from my belief system. If I go, if I grew up feeling like God is blessing me with finances because I have his approval. Yeah. And then I start seeing people who have worked three jobs and they're dirt poor and they have this close relationship with God. I'm like, well, obviously God's not. when I remove that from my tower, I'm better off and I still have a standing tower. So it's not kicking over the tower. It's taking things out that I thought were intrinsic to the structure of it. But now I realize this thing's totally great without all this other crap that I thought was the gospel. Wow. To me, that's what it is. Well, and, and I think I would add to that, though this is not how you play Jenga, but putting something back into its place yeah. that does hold. Right, yeah. That can't be pushed out so easily. Yeah. And- Figuring out what that looks like. <laughs> And some some people say, "Oh, now you're making a gospel of your own making." What I'm saying is, no, we I think we've been given 
a, a perverted form of this thing. Uh, and that's just part of man's – we have so many different denominations, so many different – we all do the hair splitting. And we fo- we major on the minors. That's just a human thing. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up going to a Christian school where, like, if you didn't cut your hair a certain way, they thought that that was a sign of holiness. That, that was a big deal. They majored on that. Yeah. That was a thing. You put marks on girls' legs, and if they, when they raise their arms, if the skirt, you know what I'm saying? Whatever it is, if the skirt, if the line on your leg now shows, somebody said that in a camp story Twitter thread that I saw the other day. That yeah. Somebody was going around, like, not ruler, like marking a mark on a girl's leg with a Sharpie. So they could prove, like, watch, when you go do something athletic now, I can see that mark, and that means that you're a slut now, or whatever it is, whatever we want to do to shame somebody. Jeez. So it's like, yeah, that these things do not matter, and when we strip those away, we can look at the tower for what it is and go, okay, the tower's still there. That means there's something to this thing. And some people just, they keep pulling away, and, like, you're, you know, you can get mad at those people for deconstructing, but be, like you said, it is a buzzword, but to me it's like... There was so much that started to ring false. Yeah. And I had to figure out if it was baby bathwater time, you know. Well, here's the thing. You got to be courageous enough to look at it. You think about the power of generational knowledge that was shifted somewhere back. You know, that whole yeah. that whole example of if I have an incremental difference between two points, and they keep going down the number line. That, that distance grows. Mm-hmm. You know, so what was so small of an angle becomes so oh, right. a great distance. Oh, yeah. Anybody that's ever laid tile for a living knows that. Yep. If you get a little bit off, now all of a sudden you fudged a little bit. By the time you get to the end of the row, your grout you got your grout line and it's a foot wide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, if you even look at, at Jesus's time, like they were 400 years since the last, you know, book of the Bible had been, you know, written in the Old Testament waiting on the Messiah and lots had changed. Mm-hmm that wasn't God initiated and they would, they would be so mad at Jesus for think parts that they perceived were incremental to the law of God Yeah, that Jesus would say, I didn't even tell you guys to do that. Right. Like you've added to this and now we're down the road so far, you're defending it as if it's as sacred as the things I did tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's okay to say that that's a part, that that's actually what history does right. to benefit us, is to go, oh, the narrative that I have may have been altered yeah. innocently right. many years ago. And now how far is the distance that I'm defending that negative as truth? Yeah, I mean, the number one parallel <laughs> I see for that uh, to American culture is they expected the Messiah to be this huge military leader that was going to rescue them from Roman rule. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, we're down now, but when the Messiah comes, he's going to kick butt. He's going to be like the Terminator. And when he was like, actually, I've come to lay down my life and I don't really want to get involved in government. That's, that's civilian matters. I have a, I have a heavenly kingdom. They were like, they're so bummed out by it. Oh yeah. And look at us now. It's all about military, military. It's like might makes right, you know, we're these, you know, we're these empirical bullies on the world stage in an essence. And I'm not saying there's not some great things that we've done bringing democracy to the world in many cases. But there's a lot of just like if you try to pass something that helps poor people, that's a big, you know, it's an entangled fight. But the minute somebody says we need more missiles, it's like, all right, rubber stamp. It's like military might and military, uh, uh, you know, being number one. It makes us 
it gives us this warm, tingly feeling in America. Definitely does. Sure. And I think that there's still something, even when they cried out Hosanna, okay, the people don't really even understand what that meant. It meant Hosanna means save us now. Yeah. So even when they, people are like, oh, we used to sing that worship song, you know, on Palm Sunday, Hosanna in the highest. Even that is a cry. Take up your rightful military mantle and destroy these Roman perpetrators. That's really what they were crying out. Yeah. Don't, don't carry this cross. What are you, crazy? Wow. Like, we still don't understand that humility, and back to our earlier point, humility and empathy and all these things that we see in the person of Christ, like, they are what we would consider weaknesses if we look at it by this modern American evangelical sensibility. we got to strip some of that away and start looking at what it means to be human, and what it means to be a true follower, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's too deep, John. Well, that's good, Johnny. Wow, we should. Uh, you would come share that on Sunday morning. I'll. Um, I know. Write, I know the book. teaching pastor. It's time could, for another book, bro. Let's do it, man. It's. Uh, I don't know. We haven't had a Johnny and John book, or we John and Johnny. I don't know what you're gonna. We'll we'll talk about we'll, that in negotiations. We'll negotiate. <laughs> you see, you have your people call my people, and uh, it'd be like your wife calling my wife. That's the only people we. Have. And another thing, your people shall be called my people. Wait, it should be like, your people shall call my people. And then we'll get a lunch. That's the, that's the modern version of that. <laughs> uh, your book shall be my book. And where you write, I shall write. Um, hey, guys, uh, speaking of, uh, as we kind of close out today, there are a lot, a lot of exciting things. Make sure you go buy tickets for Johnny's show at Zanies. It's I not know that big of a deal. tired of us talking listen, about if it. If you're around the area, you want to make a trip in, no. it's great. I'd love to fill the room up. If you live in California, I want you to get in the car right now yeah. and start driving because it's going to take that long. Yeah. No, it's going to be exciting. That's coming up October the 17th. October 17th, 4 p.m. And uh, so, yeah, um, be there. It's going to be great. i got some surprises planned. We got, I've got a great lineup planned for that day and uh it's gonna be good you can also check out john's new book not so black and white book.com and you can pre-order that book that helps his sales numbers so that's a big deal well at the time of this airing yeah it'll be the day before the release wow yeah so this is monday the day before this the is, release. this is where it's, it's we need you now more than ever and if all goes well i can't say this yeah yes i can I will just say this. If all goes well, <laughs> you should have seen me on I'll a... I'll be broadcasting this from the moon. <laughs> you, <laughs> you built have, it up too much. You should have seen Reggie and I on a major morning talk show. Okay. Uh, the major morning show that uh, I can't say what it is yet. But just say, check one of the three big networks <sighs> and watch it that morning on Monday morning, yeah. uh, the 11th. And so if you've got this and you've downloaded it early this morning, be watching. I can't tell you who because I'm not allowed to until it all airs. But Man, yeah, we can is, talk about the next week. a lot of NDAs being oh my flitted goodness. about. Right like now, this. my publisher is tearing up a contract yeah. as we speak. Okay. So, yeah. But, no, it's going to be exciting. Do, though, go to go to notsoblackandwhitebook.com and help us out there, even if it's already released. Man, go. And that first week really matters. And leave a review of the book, an honest review, preferably a, a positive <laughs> Honest review would be great. No, but go and check it out. It's gonna be a lot of fun um, this next week as we do the things we do to release a book. So that's yeah, great. and also go to uh, talk about that podcast dot com. Mm. Leave a review there. That oh. helps people find the show. Yep. When you do that, it's like yep. you're tricking the algorithm into spreading us to more people. Yes. 
And uh, we appreciate the help and we appreciate the reviews. People are also always I mean, so nice. The algorithm wants to be used. It wants to help. For our, yeah. It's, and so, yeah. And I but it's, to, it's not human, John. So you kind of are tricking it. Uh, we did have a comment from Thomas, either Doran or Duran. I'm not sure which one. Uh, this was Of Duran Duran? I think so. And uh, he, this is back in September. He said, good morning. Huge fan of the podcast. The depth of discussion of life, theology, and even Tennessee football. Mm. So this is why I raised it today. We hit on all points today. The, this is on September, though, the 24th. And he said, that being said, go Gators. I just want to hear one of y'all say that. Oh, and now so, you've read it out loud to I've you. now said you it, Thomas, because go Gators. we talk about humility and yeah. empathy on this podcast. <clears throat> and so, like, yeah. my empathy says, I can't imagine what it must feel like to be you. Mm-hmm. Having gotten beaten by Kentucky the next week, right. like how did that? You're riding feel? so high, thinking we've beat the Vols 19 times right. in a row, or whatever it is. And then you turn around time. and lost to Kentucky, who is actually pretty good this year. Pretty good. So, but no, Thomas, thank you for sending us the email. It means a lot, and we appreciate it. It's all in good fun, Johnny. <laughs> it's not real life. It's all for in good fun. So we enjoy yeah. sports as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> It's not controlling my life at all. It's not everything. I can stop anytime I want. Yeah, whatever, bro. (laughs) Eat the orange. All right. Yeah. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening this week, and we'll see you next week on another episode of Talk About That. everybody i'm dale and i'm tamara and we're hosts of the kynos project podcast where we help you tackle ancient christian truths in everyday settings the word kynos means new and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast bring something new from what is old in our faith and on this show you might hear us explore topics like what the bible has to say about student loan forgiveness discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.